0: You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org.
1: This evening, we're going to be speaking out of uh, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. So I invite you, if you have a Bible to turn there, uh, if you do not, we do have some hardback black ones in the seat pockets in front of you. You can grab that on page 856 and follow along with us, Uh, maybe 846. I hope I didn't lie to you. It's one of those two, I think. Luke uh, 1, don't hold it against me. Uh, but yeah, so we're just gonna, we're gonna read the word, um, hear a message today, uh, and celebrate together. So uh, if you get there, if you wouldn't mind just standing with me, if you're able to uh, this evening, uh, to read God's word together. So once again, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. So providence here, the word of the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
0: Merry Christmas, everyone. So awesome to be here. It's awesome. Great moment to get together. Um, and this evening we're going to celebrate Jesus and exalt his name together. My name is Cord. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and if it's your first time here or just family, friends, we want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're with us. Um, So on Sunday morning, we got to talk about the genealogy of Jesus and the birth of Jesus from Matthew, and we kind of highlighted the four women in the genealogy. Really, there are five, but we highlighted the first four gals, and tonight what I want to do is highlight the fifth and final a uh, gal in the genealogy of Jesus, namely the mother of Jesus, Mary. Uh, and the song that you just heard, the scripture you just heard is the song of Mary as she sings out praises to God in the meeting of Elizabeth, uh, her cousin, as Elizabeth confirms that the child that she's carrying is truly Christ the Lord. It's her song. And so what I want to do is pray for us and just pray that the Lord would use this moment tonight as not just a festive moment, but as a sacred moment together. And and. and Alongside that, and I don't think it's uh, coincidental, we don't believe in coincidence, that's why church is called Providence, <laughs> um, we, we actually, I want to pray for something else, and uh, as, as we were worshiping, uh, Mario came into the office and just shared with me, we have a family here in our church, and we... We're a community church, not just by name, but hopefully indeed as well. And by that, we try to treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and as family and love one another in that way. And we have a family in our church, the Lawler family, uh, Chris and Christine. And and Christine's nephew, uh, Abel, is six years old. And he went into surgery just for a tonsillectomy, I believe, um, which is not all that uncommon. And it had some very serious complications. And they found that out very recently, and came to Mara and just said, "Would you guys mind praying?" And here's the thing: we don't just pray as a last resort. We pray because we believe that God is a God of healing, and He's the great physician, and also because He is our source always. We're always reliant upon Him. And so, I want to pray for us that this will be a sacred moment. But let's also let's bear one another's burdens and bear this family's burden together. You can imagine how hard that would be Christmas Eve. So let's just. Come together and, and appeal to God because he's a good God, amen? So if you'll bow your heads, I wanna I want pray for those things. Father, we are gathered here together with our, with our whole hearts, we come to you. Thank you so much for the gift of Christmas, namely, Father, your son, Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Christ child who held in his hands from infancy the redemptive plan of the whole world. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to celebrate you today and always, but that this moment can be sacred, the evening before we celebrate your birth. My God, I just ask for open hearts, open eyes, open ears. Let us hear. Let us hear from your word, and let us be shaped and molded by the truth about who you are. And secondarily, God, as we hold some of us, even our kids, in our arms, we, our hearts are mourning for our Our family, our friends, the Lawler family, and we lift up young Abel to you. Lord, he's in in ER right now, he's in surgery, and, and the truth is we don't know the details, but my God, you are a magnificent and powerful God, a loving God, and you care for this boy more than we ever could, and so we just come as your word has called us to, and we just ask would you heal this young man and use the physician's hands to be skilled, And bring peace to this family, my God, with a good report soon and very soon. And we ask for the peace that surpasses understanding that your word promises us as we rely on you, Jesus. And so we run to you and we just ask for your help. And not only do we run run to you for help now, but we run to you for help always. And we just want to bind our faith together specifically for Abel, my God. Do something majestic, do something magnificent, do something glorious, because you are in the business of those very things. Thank you so much, God. And we ask all these things in Jesus' good name. Amen. So Luke chapter 1 gives us Mary's song, and I want to read it to you and kind of walk through what's happening here. I want to start really with the first verse. As Mary hears from Elizabeth that she's blessed with Christ. Carrying the Christ child, she says this, my soul magnifies the Lord. And listen, when we think about magnifying the Lord, it's kind of church church language. It's probably not something that you regularly say or hear, you know? Uh, you probably don't talk to your kids necessarily about let's magnify the Lord with me when they're two. Um, but I think that magnifying things actually might be more common to you, and it might be more common in your vernacular than you think. We probably learned how to magnify things from a really early age, even in school. There are two primary ways that we magnify things. Number one, we magnify small things to make them look larger than they are. That would be like with a microscope, right? And if you're getting older, then you kind of catch this. It's a you got if you already had to buy your cheaters, right? That's you trying to make something that's small to you look larger. Okay, you ever been next to uh, someone who has their iPhone out and they're just for whatever reason the the text just keeps getting bigger, you know? And that's that they're magnifying something that seems small to them, right? That's what that would be called microscopic. Second way that we magnify is we make large things to seem as large as they really are. This would be like telescopic. It's like. When you first look up into the moon, you think, wow, that's amazing. But it's not nearly as small as you think it is by looking at it. It's actually massive. And so we use a telescope just to see. Like the Hubble will show you what looks like a star is actually a planet. Like that's massive. So we magnify by taking small things and making them look bigger. Or we magnify by taking a telescope and making a very large thing look as large as it truly is. And Mary here And I think it's important for us to recognize as Christians, we are called to magnify Christ in a telescopic way, not a microscopic way. Sometimes people might think that we're making Jesus out to be bigger than he really is. Like, why are we all here tonight? (laughs) Like, why do we cram in here and not just, like, you know, figure out something else to do? And the reason is because we believe as Christians that we magnify God in a telescopic way. That he's, he's already awesome. He's not nearly as awesome as you think he is right now. And he's not nearly as awesome as the world thinks he is right now. He's greater than that, more glorious than that. And so we wanna live our lives in such a way that helps people see just how glorious he is. That's what magnifying the Lord means. It means that we're called to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse nine, proclaim the excellencies of him who called us from out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why we're saved, to be Magnifiers. No, we're not microscopic Christians trying to make Jesus seem like a bigger deal than he is. No, he's a way bigger deal than you could ever imagine. Now, the question I think that Mary answers is why? Why is he such a big deal? And I really just wanna point out three things that we see from Mary's song here about why Jesus is such a big deal. So let's read in verse 47. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. You see, Mary is a, just a common gal who doesn't really live in a royal lineage or a royal town, and so she feels as though she's mainly been overlooked by many people in her life, and probably rightly so, because she's really not that big of a deal. And yet now she's being told that she's been chosen to carry in her womb the very Messiah, the one who's been promised for thousands of years. And so she's she's basically saying, how awesome is our God that he would choose someone like me, that someone who seems overlooked has been looked to. And I think that the point here is that we magnify god by showing the world that we serve a god who sees us even when we feel very overlooked my wife and i we have a alexa in our house i don't know if you guys have alexa in our house by the way alexa like kind of freaks me out scares me like slightly because she's always listening and like offers me like advertisements for things i never really looked up and you know i'm i'm not going to go into like conspiracy theories but it scares me okay and, uh, and Alexa is always having, like, the watchful eye on us in the household. And the big brother element of that kind of freaks me out. And, and I think that sometimes we see God in that way, like, yeah, God sees, and he sees everything. And so we think of God more so as the Alexa. But for the Christian, what Mary's seeing here is, no, 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 God doesn't see us like big brother, like the NSA, like Alexa, like he's always watching, just waiting for you to mess up so that he can strike you. For the Christian, God's watchful eye is more like a father who's constantly looking. We have a lot of young kids in our church. And so if you've ever been to a home group, you'll notice uh, both fathers and moms alike, but I talk mostly with the dads. I'm I'm looking at the dad. And I know whenever a dad is listening to me, but only like 50% because like one of his eyes is like over here because he's got like a four-year-old because I I also have a five-year-old. So I know I need one eye over here and one eye on you because he's gonna do something that's probably illegal or, you know, harm others. Uh, Today it was, he was on top of the playground, the playset, and he's like, dad, look. And I'm like, get down from there. And he just kind of stayed. And I'm like, if you fall, that's the end. You know, that's, the, that's it. I got to run over there now. And it's so you have kind of like this split uh, attention span whenever you're a dad. And what Mary's saying here is that when you feel like you're overlooked, like God has forgotten about you, he has not forgotten, but he's a fatherly, watchful eye over all of his children. He sees us. He sees us in our struggles. He sees us in our great times. He has a watchful and loving eye toward us who are called according to his purposes. And then in verse 50, it says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his, with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of humble estate, filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy the second thing that we see about our God and we try to magnify for the world to see is that our God humbles the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see, Mary, being a from a humble background, recognizes that in choosing Mary to be the one, he's also done what God does all the time throughout the scriptures. I grew up loving sports, and so I often would find myself in like pickup basketball games. If you've ever been a part of like a pickup basketball game, it really depends on who you're playing with, how you feel at the time when they're going to pick teams. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like whoever the team captain is. If I feel like my talents kind of match up, I feel pretty good about picking teams. If I'm with people that are way better than I am, I just want them to hurry up and pick the teams because I don't want to be the one left out, right? It's like keep picking and it keeps getting, you know, less and less and I'm still there, which lets you know kind of, you know, where I stand on that totem pole. Um, and I think what Mary's getting at here with with the Lord is, in the, in the way that we handle things, we want to pick teams according to talent and not character because ultimately we need to partner up with someone who's at least as good as us so that we can achieve a feat. And God just does not operate that way, and there's a singular reason why. He doesn't need to team up with talent. He is the talent, right? It's so like, you could see this, right? It's like uh, I was just watching, like, the sports, uh, best sports moments of the decade. LeBron James, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach. We're going to team up, create a super team, take over the world, God doesn't need to team up with anyone because he's already got it all under control on his own. He's the big deal and it's the way in which he glorifies his majesty that shocks Mary here because here's what he does. He just looks for all the people no one else would pick. Remember David's story? He goes up, who are you going to anoint for king? All of the brothers show up, they're all ripped, they're all big. They show up with like their armor on, they're already warriors. David's out in the field, call him ruddy. Like that's not the best compliment. I've ever heard to, to be given? Like, you know, handsome, strong, strapping, ruddy, shepherd boy. That's David and what he is like. And God says, David's my guy. Why does he team up with David? Because God likes to show just how awesome he is by picking the misfits and the outcasts. And then making them into what? The man after God's own heart. We know him as King David. His brothers knew him as, all oh, my little brother. This is regularly what God does. Chooses Mary, chooses Elizabeth. Whenever Jesus decides to choose his disciples, all of the Pharisees are there. Will, they, will he choose one of the Pharisees, the rabbis? No, who does he choose? Peter, the fisherman, the tax collector, you know, the guy at H&R Block, that's the guy they're gonna choose, right? To save the world. This is what our God does. And the reason is because our God is not the least bit impressed by feats of human strength, by prowess of power. Christmas reminds us just how concerned God is with the worldly powers of the time. Namely, he's not. (laughs) He's not all that concerned. And the best way that I can give you an analogy for this is Christmas tells us the story of God finally completing, or at least starting the completion of his plan with the Messiah that's going to be born into the world. And he's born in a manger, and you've got to think, we talked about this on Sunday, how, how vulnerable babies are, how vulnerable infants are. And he's thrown into this manger in Bethlehem, which is like Tarkington or, you know, something like that. If you're from Tarkington, I'm sorry. I'm glad that family is here. All right, that was a joke that was misplaced. Okay. Um, <laughs> just out in the middle of nowhere, you got the, the the Christ child. He's the hope of the world. And why is that significant? I have a friend who... Is in the military, and he's a, he's a pastor now. He's a former military man, and he was a part of what's called the, the EOD, which is uh, the Explosive Ordnance Disposal Unit. And his job was to go in when dignitaries would come in from overseas or when there would be big speeches, like President Obama did some speeches in Washington, D.C., and he would do the work of making sure the security detail was good in his hotel room or in the golf courses that he was going to play on or at the speech, actually. And so he would sweep the rooms to make sure there were no explosive devices. So, you know, it's very dangerous. you got a lot of people who hate a lot of uh, politicians, and so he would go in there and make sure everything was safe. And I asked him in preparation for this message, I said, how much goes into that? Like, like what, what goes into making sure that a, a politician is safe? And he said, well, it's pretty significant. He says, secret service is there several weeks in advance, um, they have military briefings days ahead of them coming in, discussing all of the threats, the potential threats, where they would, where those threats would be, how they would neutralize those threats. Um, he said, directly beforehand, they'll do, they, they will do like a sweep immediately before. So just in case there was anything that would have happened even after they have already cleaned everything out, they'll sweep directly before they walk into their hotel room, directly before they go into the golf course, directly before they have their speech, they make sure that everything is safe. I said, how many people are involved in something like that. he said, well, every EOD team has three to four people. And just to give you an idea, the Olympics had over 100 EOD teams. He said when the Pope came to town, it was thousands of EOD teams, making sure that everything's safe. Do you know how many EOD teams Jesus had? You ever think about this? That may seem insignificant to you. He's the hope of the world. There's never been a politician like him. No one's been more important, ever. No one has been more important than this guy. And as a baby, way more vulnerable than an adult man or an adult woman, Jesus has zero secret service to make sure everything's okay at his birth. You know why? God is totally unconcerned with anyone thwarting his plans, ever. So when Mary magnifies the name of God, she's trying to tell us, we have a God who sits in the heavens and he's got it under control. He's got it under control. He is all powerful. The fact that he sees us and knows us and cares for us is so unbelievably glorious that we have a God that is this majestic and he still has his eye on us. And it's true. And then finally, Mary says this in verse 54 through 55, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Forever. Lastly, we magnify a God who always keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. So you gotta think, this is thousands of years after all the promises about Jesus, and Mary says, hey, can you guys believe it's me? I'm the one fulfilling them. She's like, unbelievable. Thousands of years, everybody's been waiting on this, and it's Mary, and it's Elizabeth, and they're cousins, and they're probably like, can you believe this? God keeping his promises thousands of years later. It's gotta be a shock, a massive moment and our God is not like a man that he would miss an appointment. Our God is not like a man that he would be late and there might be nothing more important than we leave out of here this evening knowing other than God will always keep his promise to us. And so I wanna give you a few promises of God and I wanna leave you with one in particular that's unique to us at Providence. First one is that The presence of God is always with you, Matthew Matthew 28, 20, Deuteronomy 31 and 6. God will never leave you or forsake you. If you're in Christ, you can be sure you have a God who will never forsake you. God's power is with you. He will strengthen you. Isaiah 41 and 10, he tells us he will strengthen, help, and uphold us with his righteous right hand. You have a God who will strengthen you when you feel weak. Did you come in feeling weak? It's Christmas Eve. If you have kids, you probably did. You have a righteous God who will strengthen you. He will give you the strength necessary to carry on and glorify him in all that you do. Protection, we have a God that will guard us. Psalm 121, 7-8 says that God will watch over us and keep us. Not like Alexa who's waiting to strike, okay? Like a father who is ready to run and catch you when you fall peace. God will give you his peace. Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah 54, and 10 tells us that Jesus is our prince of peace, and he's our covenant keeper of peace. If you are in Christ, no earthly circumstances can rob you of the eternal peace that has been given to you as a gift from your Lord Jesus. He did nothing to earn it, and therefore you can do nothing to unearn it. It is yours in Christ. And then lastly, something unique for us at Providence. You know, we named our church Providence because I was entirely sure that I was not up to the task of doing anything this cool. And I told my wife, if we're going to plant this church, it has to be the providence of God. But providence has a bigger meaning than that. It means the divine governing and superintendence of our God over all things. That's what providence is. It's that God's holding everything together, right? It's this idea of provision. And I want to remind you this evening that Is there anything that confirms God's provision to us any more than Emmanuel, God with us? You see, it's one thing to know that your dad will take care of you. It's another thing to know that your dad is with you. It's one thing to know that you're gonna be provided for. It's another thing to know that your provider is right there with you. You see, it's one thing to know that God exists. It's another thing to think God not only exists, but he entered into human history and he came near to us. That's what the story of Christmas is. Not just that there is a God, but that he's our God and that he is with us. Or as Romans chapter eight, verse 28 says, we not only have a powerful God who sits in the heavens and does all that pleases him, but that powerful God is working all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. That's providence, the very presence of our God with us. And so this evening, I want to encourage you Our entire life is meant to reveal and display just how amazing and glorious our God is. We're telescopes taking something big and just trying to help the world see just how big it actually is. Taking something glorious and trying to reveal to the world that it's way more glorious than you could ever imagine. Christmas is a great opportunity for that. It's also very easy to mistake it for microscopic because you just got a baby in a manger. More than meets the eye, friends. There's more than meets the eye at Christmas. And so my prayer is that tonight God would open our eyes, maybe for the first time or all over again, to the massive and glorious nature of the manger. Only then can we succeed at the massive thing that's in front of us and make it look as big as it really is. You'll stand to your feet. Let's magnify the Lord together. Merry Christmas. Jesus, what a great God you are. <laughs> for my friends and my, my family, under the sound of my voice, would you swell our hearts to receive just how grand you are. As we hold our kids in our arms, may we pray that they might see you as the massive and glorious Savior that you are. And if we feel overburdened tonight, will you remind us that there is no sin too great for you to forgive, There is no distance too far for you to climb over. There is no opposition too strong to keep you from us. Or as Paul said in Romans 8, we are convinced that neither height nor depth, nor principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh God, tonight let our let our mouths and song match how our hearts ought to feel that Christ is born. We love you, God. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen.